Hi, I'm Natalia. I'm Gen Z. I'm Molly, a millennial. This is Arnisha, Generation X. And I'm Micah, the boomer. And, and we, we are Dame, Dame Talk. Talk. Four women, four generations, four unique points of view. Hello, I'm Dame Micah, and I just want to let our listeners know that, uh, or remind our listeners that Natalia is serving our country, and she is now, I believe, in boot camp um, for the Navy, and I'm sure she's going strong and doing what she does, which is a great thing. So we, we wish her well, and as she has time, she will be back. Um, but in the meantime, what we're going to do is have guest Gen Zers, and today our guest is Gabrielle Sansone, and we are very happy to have her. Um, before I get into our topic, Gabrielle, do you want to just kind of say a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Gabby. Um, I grew up in northern Westchester, New York, uh, and I currently live in Brooklyn, uh, and uh, I'm an actor. Nice. <laughs> it gives us a little variety, you know. Um, it's entertainment is definitely one of those professions that I think a lot of women are either interested in or are in. And so it's nice to get that perspective when we talk about our various topics. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So in the midst of all that's going on, um, COVID aside, with Black Lives Matter and protests and what's been happening with police brutality, the dames really felt it was important for us to have a perspective um, from, the, from the corporate side. So when we were talking, Arnisha said, you know what, is this fact or fiction? Uh, true change in corporate America, is it really happening? I think um, Black Lives Matter has pulled a trigger and I, I don't wanna say, I, I will say forced the hand of many corporations around how they're going to respond or how they've responded to what's happening because they cannot turn a blind eye. They cannot act like, you know, it's business as usual because it's not. Um, I think COVID kind of kicked it off for us and said, we, we are not doing things the way we normally do just in the workplace now because of a pandemic. And now with the racial tensions at an all-time high, uh, corporations also realize that not only are their consumers, their customers, and their employees affected by this, but their world is affected by this and they're looking for leadership to tell them what their point of view is around this whole uh, uh, topic and, and tension and what are they gonna do about it? What does it mean for their business? So James, I, I want you to, we've kind of talked about this a little bit and we all have very strong feelings about it. Um, from my perspective, I'm concerned that it's a lot of uh, lip service and that these corporations are going to say the right things right now, but then when things kind of ease up a little bit, then they will pull back and not necessarily deliver the way they should deliver. It's not even mm -hmm. um, 
because it's good for business or because it, it's the right thing to do. It's the human thing to do. It's the equality thing to do. So for me, it's something that should have been done ages ago. So, okay, let's not talk about history, but going forward, I am very concerned that they will return to business as usual. And they're just waiting for that moment when they don't have to deal with this anymore. I don't know if you guys feel the same or have different thoughts. I'd be interested to know. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel the same way as you, Micah. Um, but I'm, I'm also, I think, more hopeful. Um, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm just wanting to be hopeful, and I'm kind of putting it out there. But I think the combination of everything that's happening right now, of this like awakening finally, kind of in the mainstream, more mainstream awakening of like police brutality and ongoing racism, and um, how it's embedded into every every aspect of of our american life and i would say global life um i think that combined with the uh the pandemic is bringing this idea of systems change um really to the conversation in a way that at least i don't remember hearing it before um through prior uh you know prior moments of protest or the 2008 financial crisis. I don't remember hearing much um, about the, this need for systems change. And so I'm hoping that this kind of groundswell from both the reaction to the pandemic that we're seeing hit you know, communities of color much more severely than white communities and uh, uh, that people were already angry and were already telling, you know, talking about that we need to we need to change things this isn't about going back to normal this is about creating a new normal um and so i'm hoping i'm feeling hopeful that this will be not from at least a lot of these companies hopefully most of them it won't just be lip service um but we'll actually see see change from this and i think part of that is going to depend on you know what continues happening um both with uh racial justice in the country and with the pandemic globally. I think it's interesting that this did happen at the same time as the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and I think that that made a huge difference in one people's ability to get out there and protest, right? Because now all of a sudden you're home, so you have the window to get out there. And then also the frustration you were already feeling being in, in at home and watching you know, the lack of leadership federally around the pandemic. So it was just, what do they call it? The perfect storm? Yeah. 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 See, I, I guess I'm kind of like, I'm hopeful like Molly is, but I'm cautiously hopeful. You know, the proof is in, is in the pudding. You know, I think about um, the work that was done for affirmative action. So I would say that that would have been considered a win at the time. Right? Like, yes, you know, there's affirmative action is alive and now there we, we have to hire a certain amount, but guess what? We are still, how many years later, and we're still fighting for the same things, despite the fact that, um, that we had affirmative action. So while I'm trying to be, I, I am hopeful because I agree, Molly, that we, I don't think in history we've ever seen anything like this in terms of fighting for um, equality, fighting for social justice for people of color, particularly African-Americans. I don't think we've seen just the amount, just the 
diversity and of, of the group that's fighting for it, fighting for us, truthfully, we just, I don't think we've seen that in history. Um, and it's being, you know, I know we've talked before that we, there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different age groups in it, but this charge is really being led by Gen Z and millennials. When you, everybody's involved, but the charge, when you see the speakers and you see the people standing up and the people continue to protest, it really is being led by Gen Z and millennials. So truthfully, that is what adds to my hope because it, because it's the younger generations that are leading it as opposed to the older generations in the past you know where you're kind of dragging <laughs> younger generations along you know not to say i'm i'm down for the protest i'll protest but i'm also a woman that's a gen xer you know it, when you have the youth out there they can do it they can go out there and be out there often they they can do their they're not going to be complaining about their knees hurting the, <laughs> the next day probably you know it's it just in order to do what needs to be done it's also physically taxing so what i'm happy about is that the lead is um is is being taken by by gen z and, and millennials and that we're clearly here to to support so that makes me hopeful but i, I you know i wonder I, a, a really small part of my mind that i keep trying to push at bay truthfully is that um i feel like corporations might just be waiting until the dust settles so the ones that jumped on the bandwagon quickly and enacted change and did training and started changing the way they were going their hiring policies those are the ones that really are serious about bringing change along but the ones that have kind of dragged their feet i feel like they're just kind of waiting waiting until the dust settles mm -hmm. even if that takes five to six months before things settle down again and then they can just kind of hopefully return Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, I'm hopeful, but cautiously hopeful. Well, you triggered something with me when you said it's uh, millennials and Gen Zs are kind of um, the driving force here. It almost makes me think, I don't think they're going to accept business as usual. Right. Right. So that's my hope is that the Good younger point. generation will say, hell no, you guys said this and you need to do it versus when we were in corporate America, when I was younger, I kept quiet, even though a company said we were going to do this or we're going to do that. You didn't want to rock the boat. So I'm hoping these, I know these, these younger generations, they don't mind rocking the boat. They were rocking it before. So that's a good point. Gabrielle, you guys are our hope. <laughs> Yeah, hey, Molly. She's a millennial too. Oh, Molly. Sorry, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's, it's Gen Z. They're really coming up there. We, I feel like millennials sometimes are just, we're trying to do better because now we see Gen Zs who are really, really pushing us. So, you know, we gotta, we gotta stay, you know, stay strong. <laughs> Gabby, what do you think about that? What do you think about Micah's comment? Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, I think I think I also am hopeful because it's it's hard to be anything but and still, you know, have some sort of motivation throughout the day. Um, but yeah, I definitely I definitely feel like there is enough people who are willing to cause a ruckus now that like if there are corporations that are just going to wait for the dust to settle and go back to normal, like we're going to make noise about it and either end them or force them to change um which either way helps because it ends a corrupt corporation or forces change upon it so yeah yeah totally yeah and i think we're in this 
really cool space right now where maybe I think for the more than at any point in history, we have so many ways of holding companies accountable that like we just, we didn't before. And now companies like they have to be out there on social media. We have to be hearing what they're saying. And if they're not, then we're going to exactly to Gabby's point, we're going to hold them. We're going to make them do it. Um, And then if not, like, then you know what, we'll go buy products somewhere else or we'll go shop somewhere else or we'll work somewhere else. Like I think there's this, this like push to, that millennials and Gen Z really want to work at places where that share their values or stand for something, uh, you know, more than just the, the bottom line. Um, so I think that's, you know, we have this power and this accountability that, uh, that I think maybe just didn't exist as much before. Yeah. And I also think that whereas before you would never talk about a company that you used to work for because you would feel like, well, then nobody else will want me to get a job if I talk about this company, but people are calling companies out now. They're like, oh no, you say this, but let me tell you my experience when I worked there and nobody wants to get called out like that. So I think that's the other thing is people are, and it's the younger generation. It is, they're like, you know what? They're boldly stepping forward and telling their stories. And with social media, that stuff spreads fast. Um, I saw a picture with, National Geographic, where they had a whole ad around Black Lives Matter, and it was all white people on the in the ad. This was their leadership, and I thought, who the heck approved this? Like, did they look at that picture and think, oh, this is okay? And of course, they got called out like immediately. So that's the other thing you got you got to really think before you step out there and say, is my message and my visual and my, and what I stand for really all cohesive and matching, you know, are they, are they integrated in the way that I want them to be or the way I want you to think they are? Yeah. But I I do think that companies know that this younger generation, I'm saying Gen Z and millennials, that you guys aren't playing because you led the charge with really driving change for the environment and, and or you're leading the charge for that. And, and truthfully, it really started off with, with the hippies, for lack of a better word. It started with the hippies, but it wasn't the same because it just wasn't enough people. So then you have an entire generation that's really making people accountable. What's your carbon footprint? So the fact that you've already made inroads there and companies have had to change. You know, you have Walmart saying that they're going to reduce this by X amount in a certain amount of time. You have huge companies like um, Unilever saying that they're going to do the same thing. And that's all because of the push um, from, I think, particularly from the younger generations of saying, look, hey, you, you want my dollar, then you need to take care of this, this, this you know, take care of, of, of the environment. Because if you don't, then who cares if I buy this from you? Because none of us are going to be here in 10 years yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I, I, I think that the, in, from when I said the proof is in the pudding, I do believe that the younger generations are already showing that, look, I'm ready to take a stand. And if I have to sacrifice something, I'm just going to do it. And and, 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 and make the change that's, that's required. And what I, I feel like, particularly with social justice, that um, our, my, my generation at Gen X, we, and I'm trying to find the best way to say this, and my, my, genera- my, my generation brought rap to life. 
right? So we are the initiators of rap. And if you go back to the very, very, very beginning of, of rap, I want you got past the playful rhyming. We, you heard uh, a lot of messages like from Public Enemy mm -hmm. and there were other rappers hey, that were back them. then, yeah, back then they were already trying to start the, we got to change, we got to do something, we got to do something. But it was being communicated in a genre that intimidated a lot of people. Like within the ethnic communities, everybody was like, yeah, that's right, that's right. But it intimidated so many people that it still didn't pull the trigger that needed to be pulled in order to get the mass change that we need. Um, and I just, you know, I, I think that the brutality of seeing George Floyd murdered um, just touched everybody. And had that been, had we found a way to do that, I'll say, 20 something years ago when rap was talking about the injustices that are happening within our community, as opposed to crap they talk about now. I had to say that, but I'm going back. <laughs> I'm, going back. I'm going back on message. <laughs> if we had social media then to align with the message about this is the brutality that, that's happening to our black men, to our men of color, to black women. This is what's happening every day in our communities. This is what, how the cops are abusing their power. The, if you listen to the music from that time, that's what's being said. You know, over and over again in those rap messages, had we had social media uh, as a way to complement that, like, this is what I'm telling you, and here's the video to show it. This is what I'm telling you, and here's the video to show it. I think we would have gotten change um, earlier. Because then you can't, you can't shutter it. You can't put your head in the ground. You can't act like it's not happening because it's not happening to you. Mm -hmm. um, but now, you know, everybody sees it. The world sees it. And the beauty to me of it is that the world is saying, all right, enough is enough. You know, you just, we have to, we have to start to change. Arnisha, well, the, uh, my, my question is, because Rodney King, because that's the, two things came to mind when you were talking, Rodney King and Do the Right Thing, that movie, right? Yeah. So Rodney King, we had video. We saw that on TV. Now, it wasn't replayed over and over again on social media like, you know, other brutality has happened, but Rodney King was not a trigger, and that was a travesty. What we, we literally saw what happened to that man. I agree. I do think it was, I think it was a trigger because that's when they had the LA riots right after that. So, but the change didn't come because I hate to say it, but it kind of went away in the social media space. It's not going away. Like you can see it over and over and over and over again. And now that people see that they have this platform, forget it every day. If you, you can go on and see about somebody else that got murdered. Somebody else that got murdered. Somebody else. You'll just see enough. If, if you start looking for those things, but I had to stop because I just can't watch them anymore. Um, if you start looking for it, they're going to keep feeding you those videos where you see that this is happening and it's, it continues to happen even now when we are, when we're, we're, we're still fighting for our, for our rights. So I do think what's different about it though is that Rodney King, it was just on TV. Right, so it was only hot while it was a hot story in the media. If three or four days later something else happened, which I'm sure it did, you didn't see much more about it, right? As opposed to social media, where it's going to keep hitting you over and over and over again. And the media is complicit too, right? Because the media can decide based on whatever that they don't want, you know, sentiment to change too much, so they back off and they don't continue to show it because you know they're part of the problem too. Yeah, I think, I feel like a, a few weeks ago, I kept seeing a, a quote going around, I think from Will Smith, that was like, racism's not getting worse, it's just getting filmed. Right. 
So it's like now that this is constantly, everyone's got a phone, everyone's, you know, recording when this stuff is going on. And then with social media, it just is, will live forever and get passed around and passed around and passed around. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing when I have discussions with people who say, you know, it seems like since Trump has been in office, racism is just, you know, people are just out there vocal. They feel so confident that they can mm -hmm. say what they want to say. And the question is, are there are they just comfortable now saying it and they were always like that, which is what I think, or is it a new wave of, you know, races coming out because he's kind of um, heightening it or, or making it okay. So even younger folks are maybe uh, joining the bandwagon when they might've thought differently if somebody in leadership was making them think differently. I mean, go on mom. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's got to be a combination. I wish it was just the people who always thought this and now they feel comfortable saying it in public. But I do think there's also an element of like more people seeing it as an acceptable worldview. Uh, but like, I'm hoping that that's changing now, right? Like we're seeing this massive backlash against, against the administration for his handling of this and his handling of the pandemic. And we're, you know, and so I, hopefully people are realizing that, oh, this uh, this guy in the White House, um, <laughs> he uh, his views are not not acceptable, and like they have real consequences. Um, which you know, why people didn't realize that before. I don't know. We don't need to. We don't need to touch on that. But you know, now I think they're they're seeing it. But. Right. Right. I don't know. Um, you know what? It, I, well, you know, part part of what I um what I struggle with is. We all have a right to think and believe what we want, right? So because of that, if someone is a racist, they have a right to think the way that they do, right? Just like I have a right to think the way that I think, which is completely anti-racist, right? I, I think that the, and we're in a country, thank God, where we have liberties and we have freedom that we can do and say things. We have freedom of speech. So what I sometimes struggle with is, even though it feels like it's the wrong thing against humanity, we're in the United States, and do those people not have a right to express how they feel. Now, when it becomes a problem is when you are doing something physical to someone, when you are preventing someone from doing, accomplishing something because of their race. Like racism as a term is power, right? It's, a, it's your ability to willpower to prevent other people from doing something. So when it, it, in those instances, yeah, I know the right thing to do is clearly to not do it. But it is, it is a fine line in saying that they don't have a right to think the way that they do. I, I think that um, it's so deeply embedded in our country that the, it's going to take generations to correct that type of thinking um, because nobody's born racist, right? Nobody is. It's, it's taught behavior, it's learned behavior. So I, I think it's going to take, truthfully, Gabby, her generation, 
that is extremely, you know, very much more progressive than my generation was in terms of races and openness and, you know, just, it's just a much more open generation, you know, about everything. It's going to take Gabby and Gen Z's to have, to keep their mindsets and to start having children and then pouring their values into their children. And then we start to see generations of people who start going, well, you know, who cares if you're white and I'm black? You know, we're the same because it has to be corrected at, from a generational basis. And my generation, I mean, our kids are already here. We've already put things into our kids that truthfully, they got to work against, right? So it's the children that aren't born yet by the younger generations that say, this is just not right. We're all the same. And that's where the, that's where the change to me is, is really going to, to, to finally come. So I think we might have two or three more generations of fighting this, truthfully, yeah. before we yeah. really make some inroads. Because it's also what they, you, you're, you can be raising your children one way, but then they're not seeing what you're saying, whether it be on TV, whether it be, you know, when they go out to school or whatever it is. Right. So, you have to fight against that as well. And, and that's very purposeful in, in how America is set up. Um, I just read an article where they were, not even articles, like a, a blurb that said, you know, 80% of um, white people are killed by white people. Mm -hmm. but nobody talks about white on white crime. Right. But they yep. do always talk about black on black crime. So all of a sudden there's a difference, right? Because it, it's the same statistics for the most part, um, as far as black people killing black people, but it, it it's it's how they frame it and name it is very purposeful. So that's something that this younger generation and the new generations that aren't born yet, they have to fight against. Right. But I also wanna I totally agree that, yeah, I mean anyone having kids now, like you, there's, yes, you have a responsibility to, uh, to talk about racism, to talk about anti-racism and to do that work. But I also don't want to dismiss the responsibility of every generation right now. Well, I agree. So I, I think, agree. and I think that's something that like, I think unfortunately it will take another couple, two, three generations, because this is a, this is a hundreds of years long system that's been built. And so I think, yeah, it's going to take a it's going to take a lot more work because I think for the for the most part I feel like a lot of white America at least right now is like just now waking up to that oh there are there are even if you know I didn't own slaves you know that was 150 years ago like that was you know was not my problem uh like that's there's this there's, we've all benefited we being white people have benefited from this society and so we need to I think so many people are just now starting to put together that Oh, I, I can't, uh, I didn't, you know, wasn't directly involved in the sins of my ancestors, but that doesn't mean that I don't have responsibility now to fix them. And so I think it's like, there's so much talk about people learning about anti-racism and I put myself in this category, learning about anti-racism, figuring out all the ways in which I benefit from white privilege every single day. And how can I, how can I, do better? How can I fix it? As an adult, how can I push my family members to fix it, who I usually avoid talking about politics or race or any other, you know, quote unquote, sensitive issue? Um, you know, how do we each individually, regardless of how old we are, um, or, you know, our position in society to actually do this work that will take to take it to undo 
the, the system that we have. I guess that goes back to which was our original like posed question around corporate America. Is it real change or, you know, like who, at what, at what level and who needs to be on board with ensuring that the change is something that is consistent and is going to be integrated into the culture of the organization and, you know, and understanding that they have to give up something, right? There is this, uh, I think why corporate America is the way it is, it's really men, white men who don't want to give up the money, the power, the privilege, you know, so how do you get to that place where there's people that are willing to support, speak up and give up a little, give up some, you know, some of their power, some of their money, et cetera. I think there are two things that would, that motivate that type of, that, that type of, of behavior. One is because you just realize that it's the right thing to, to do, right? You think about Alexis, so I think, is it Ohanian? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Uh, Serena, Serena's husband. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, one is because you, you realize it's, it's the right thing to do, um, honestly. And, and two is that there's something that motivates you to do it like there and, and I hate to say it but it's putting the systems in place that reward doing the right thing because we, I, I don't think that we can trust that people are going to to, to just automatically do it I, I, I really don't I mean we've just demonstrated over and over again that if we do it it's not it's not lasting because we wouldn't be fighting the same fight for over and over and over and over and over again if we really saw some some change. So I, I think that the there needs to be some type of reward system for having um, for showing the type of diversity that you just naturally should be doing anyway. Because without that, I mean, it's hard. It's gonna, it's going to be hard for people to give up to give up their their privilege and to make that that type of sacrifice. You know, I think I think it's hard. It's just human nature. You know, we're selfish. And the sad part is there is enough for everybody. That's the reality. But there is this sense of, uh, I guess, you know, that's how you put competition into play. You make it seem like the pie is so small and that everybody can't get. So, you know, only the, the best and the brightest and all of that, you know, will survive, so to speak. So I think that's also a mentality that needs to be worked on in America. Um, in the world. I mean, there's enough resources, there's enough everything for everybody. But, you know, people have to be willing to share and recognize, I don't need to be, I don't need to have $50 billion. <laughs> you know, um, I, I can have a billion and be just fine and my family and their family and their family and so on and so on, you know. So I think there's also that whole mindset we have to to acknowledge. And I, I agree. I just don't, I, I just don't think that that is that's a hard thing to give up. I mean, think, and I'm, I'm, I'm as someone who doesn't have it, okay? But I can imagine that's a really, no? that's a big, I know, I wish. That's a big ask. It, it really is. Even if it's, because think about it, those people that are in that position, um, that's what their lives have been for some time. So you're now asking them to dial it back and spread the wealth and they're used to a living to living their lives a certain way based on that. Um, 
I think it's a huge ask. And, and, and I'm saying they can live their lives the exact same way and still have plenty left over. Now, if you're asking me to go from five billion to one billion, <laughs> to me it's all the same <laughs> because it's out of reach. <laughs> but, but if you're asking somebody to go from five billion dollars to one billion dollars, I gotta believe that there's a that's a tangible difference to that. Of course. To, uh, you know, to us it's kind of like it's still a lot of money, you know, <laughs> you know, it's still a lot, it's still a lot. But I think to them that you know that's a huge difference, and that would require a big change in behavior and lifestyle, you know. And you know, I guess what I struggle with, what makes me what really starts to make me um angry is you know, when you you mentioned that the best and the brightest and the smartest, well, guess what? That's a diverse group anyway right so if if you are looking if you really are looking for the best and the brightest and the smartest it's not just white people they're smart bright black people they're smart bright you know native americans it, it's smart it doesn't it doesn't the, the racial part of it doesn't matter if you just hire people because they were qualified and just ignore truthfully the way they look then it will be a different thing now i i have to say there's one thing about covid that i think is something that may be companies should start to practice. Um, I know that we can Zoom a lot, right? But I had, a, I had a consulting role where I only spoke with my client. He and I never Zoomed. And I, I, you know, I hate to, to say it, but there's something about, if you can eliminate that racial bias because you don't see the person, right? We judge people before they even open their mouths. You have already taken a look at them and if you've, you've, made, a, you've made a judgment. That's everybody. You've made a judgment before someone walks, um, opens their mouth. When they walk into a room, you've, already, you've sized them up and you've already put them in a certain box, right? That's just the way we communicate. Um, if you pull that out of the picture, would things start to change? If the interviewing process was all, was all only by phone call, would things start to change? Because you start to eliminate the bias that comes along with your race. Now, with some of us, like, like myself, with a name like Arnisha, you would know who I am. <laughs> with a name like mine, you would know who I am. I I've heard of other Arnishas, and they're all of African-American descent. <laughs> so my name is very telling. But... Um, if it's somebody with the name of Dawn or Valerie or, you know, names that maybe aren't that way, you, you really might not be able to, to tell. I just, I just wonder, you know, if, how do we start to really get away from the bias, the inherent biases that come with seeing people of color walk into a job interview? I think there's even... I haven't... It's a business idea. It's that show, that dating show where you don't see each other. We can have a show... Where people are interviewing and you don't see them. Oh, my that'd be great. A show, a TV oh God, show. I love it. Yeah. You know, the thing is about the TV show is that you force people to be honest because viewers will force them to do the right thing. But I think there's a whole. I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> Sign me up. But I think there's a whole uh, movement around like moving towards like blind hiring where not only do you not necessarily see the person, but you know, when somebody submits their resume, they don't even have a name on it. 
They don't have any identifying information in terms of years. So like what year did you graduate college? Cause that can be an ageism issue of if you're looking at somebody who graduated 30 years ago. Um, and so you remove all identifying characteristics. And so that way when somebody's looking at the resume, even just starting from that before you start a conversation, like you're looking at straight qualifications. And so then once you do, you have your pile of, you know, the resumes that you're going to bring into interview, then you've already taken out that unconscious bias um, that people already have, regardless of even if you, you know, see somebody, but you, you bring those, you, you know, you see a typo in a resume and that's like, oh, that person's disorganized or you see a name like Arnisha. Oh, that person must be black. Let's, let's right. weed her out of the pile. No, like what? I mean, we shouldn't be doing that anyway. Cause again, cause it's the wrong thing to do. It's, it should be the right thing to do to just, you know, be equal, but we do have these unconscious biases. And so how in the hiring process can we do things like blind hiring or open hiring, which um, is an even more progressive uh, approach of just literally putting people like you want a job, put your name on the list. The next time we have a job opening available, whoever's next on the list, come on in. Um, wow, I've never heard of that. There's, there's, a great, uh, there's a great company called Grayston Bakery that's based here in New York. Um, they're a B corporation. Uh, and they, uh, they've been doing this open hiring practice for years. And so they've, they've started training other companies on how to do it. And it's essentially like whoever is next on the list, they have a really in-depth training program. And so come on in, you go through the training, see how you do. And then you, you know, continue on after that of kind of apprenticeship program. And so it's like, it's really opening that door for not only, uh, you know, solving for unconscious racial bias, but also bias against people who have maybe, you know, been in the prison industry or the uh, prison industrial complex, you know, have been affected by the system in some other way, people with disabilities, uh, any number of these, these biases that we hold. And so it's like, now I feel like we have this, this, this momentum and this movement to like push our workplaces and push these companies, uh, not just the big corporations, but like anywhere that is hiring people to do better and to to try some of these these practices out isn't that bakery in yonkers yeah 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 yeah. Yonkers, i know yeah. the ceo i'll get him on i'll get him on the show for i mean great yeah, i'll have him come on and talk about it perfect let's oh, do it i've been i have actually been there and, and toured it and it's really cool and they, their big client i believe is they do brownies for ben and jerry's or, or like yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's is one of their, one yeah. of their clients, right. another Which, B Corp. So, right. And Ben and Jerry is so much in alignment with what, you know, they walk the talk and they have been out in the forefront with this black lives matter. They have, you know, they have a plan, what they think should happen. And I've never seen a corporation have such thoughtful um, direction around how they, what their vision of this um, they definitely are head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, to me, yeah. everybody should be following and talking to Ben and Jerry's and they've been consistent. Um, so it didn't come out of nowhere, right? This is, yeah. this is who they really are. Um, and I just think it's more companies need to be like that. Michael, you know what? I, I've, you've seen so many statements from companies um, about Black Lives Matter over the past um, a month or so. Refresh my memory. What did um, what did what did Ben and Jerry say? What are they doing? They said Black Lives Matter, and here's what needs to happen to make a difference, like policy change, 
um, like they had a, like a, I don't want to call it a manifesto, I guess, but like just basically uh, a roadmap around here's what we think should happen. Okay. And it was, it was titled, we must dismantle white supremacy. Yeah. Thank wow. you. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're all in, like they're serious about this okay. and they're very clear. Um, you know, unlike, uh, a Starbucks who says you can't wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts and then turn around and said, oh, no, 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 we didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. It's like, come on. You can't, you, you, you just, this cannot be a way of doing business anymore. Before it used to be like, you're like, oh, they made a mistake. I'm like, no, they didn't make a mistake. They knew what they were doing when they said you don't wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts. Then when they got the heat, that's when they backed off. If they hadn't gotten any heat, they would have kept the policy in. So, you know. Times have changed, and I won't be going to Starbucks. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, Arnisha. When the pandemic's over, we won't be meeting there. <laughs> That's okay. That is that is completely, completely, completely fine with me. I just, you know, I, I, I again, it kind of goes back again to just the, just all of the conversation around Black Lives Matter and just the misunderstanding of what that means, even now you know, so that companies are still gunshot and even supported, you know, it's because it's because of a, um, I think I want to believe it's because of a lack of understanding, right? Because it's, it's not saying only black lives matter. It's not saying that black lives matter more, you know, it, it really isn't a, 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 um, a statement that's divisive at all. And I think that companies that are seeing it as something that's divisive is because they really just don't understand um, the what caused the statement to be created, why people are standing on it and and and, and pushing for it. You know, it, it isn't saying that we we aren't saying that all lives don't matter or that all lives matter. That really isn't it at all. It's just saying that I have to tell you that Black Lives Matter, because that's who you see being slaughtered in the streets. When you see Black men being pinned down on the ground, when you see and, 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 and choked to death, when you see Black men being shot in the back, running away from a situation, when you find that people who were sitting down, I don't remember which way, where this guy was, but he was sitting down on a, um, with handcuffed, sitting down on the side of the street, submissive, he ended up dead. So when you see those things over and over again, and you see that if, if it were for a, a possibly a fake $20 bill, or because somebody stole a candy bar, or because somebody thought that, you know, oh, he went to get a bag of Skittles, but he looked suspicious, or he was running through my neighborhood. Like, if you, if you, if, if you feel that, if, since we only see this happening to Black people, then that means that, for some reason, our lives must not matter as much. So the need to say, hey, 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 Black lives matter, is because clearly it's demonstrated that they don't matter much right now. So I, I, I think that when companies respond that way, like Starbucks did, you know, it's because politically they're afraid, they, they're misinterpreting what the statement means. 
it's not saying that we matter more. It's not saying that all, we know all lives matter. <laughs> We're not saying that that's not the case. Everybody's life matters. What matter with, with, with the difference in this statement is that Black people are being murdered, especially Black men, are being murdered by people who are supposed to be protecting us and serving us. And it, when that's not happening, the fear of, 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 of a Black man for whatever reason, but the fear of a Black man is enough that it takes months for people to get locked up for shooting somebody who was just running through a neighborhood. You know, so it, 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 if that was something that a crime that was committed by an African-American man on a white person, that person would be, I would be happy if they made it to, to, to the prison because they probably might not even make it to jail, you know, just because of the, how, 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 I don't, I don't want to say victimized might be too strong of a word, but just because of the way things, the way things are now. You know, it, it, the, the, if the tables were turned, forget it. I, I don't even know if, if they would be, um, if they would even still be alive to, to tell their stories. So, you know, I, I, I go back to the importance of educating in a corporate environment so that when companies are thinking about taking a stand about something that ties back to humanity, that they really understand what certain things mean and what they represent, you know, so that you don't feel gun shy, like, oh, I can't side with the black community because I, I don't want the white community to be mad. You know, that that has to be the root of why you don't, <laughs> why you wouldn't stand behind something that's right for an entire race of people, right? Yeah, it's like, I mean, there's been a ton of analogies, but, you, you know, you think about if you have, you know, four kids, five kids, and one of your kids is really sick, you're going to have a lot of attention on that child because that child's not feeling well. So that child is going to get attention to make that child well again, right? Because that's your goal. But does that mean you love your other children less because they're healthy? No, you know, it's, it's so all your children's lives matter. You love all of your children, but you're going to focus right now on the child that needs your attention the most. And you would hope that your other children would have compassion, empathy, and sympathy for their sibling to know that they need that care and help now. And when they don't, and when they're on their feet, then, you know, fine, things will be fine. But right now we are that child that needs that attention and we are not on our feet right now. And we need, you know, so that's why black lives matter. And that's why we need to, have that focus. Um, and I, I say CEOs, they educate themselves on everything else. This is just one more thing they need to educate themselves on and understand. Um, but, you know, Gab Gabrielle, Gabby, we clearly, we know each other very well. So we've been taking over. We don't want to, I know you have some thoughts because I can see your head shaking and you're like, you get it. So I want to definitely open the floor, not to put you on the spot, but just give you an opportunity to weigh in on some of the things we've been talking about. Sure. Yeah, um, just off of what you were just saying, I, I think it's, I think it's even more importantly a matter of like people. I feel like people who hold positions of power have like forgotten that their actions can have consequences, um, and I think that's the biggest thing is that like nobody is above the law. A 
life, like a person taking another person's life is not something that is excusable in, in any manner. Um, and so I, I feel like that's, that's uh, you know, the overlying matter and, and the issue of like, how do you, how do you not, I feel like get rid of is mean, but get rid of people in power who who mm -hmm. do those thoughts and and i very much believe that even just racist thoughts have the potential to kill um because clearly whether whether someone is being actively racist or passively racist like clearly based on all of the videos that we've been seeing and and history no if there's an inkling of of racism if there's an inkling of of prejudice or bias that can lead to something devastating um and i think it is a it is a hard hard thing to to fully say like we're going to get rid of um and and i i personally know people who before this Black Lives Matter movement happened, we're like, racism isn't a problem anymore. That's not a thing anymore. Which, I, the fact that people even have that thought in their head is dangerous in and of itself. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So, I sort of lost my place. I'm sorry. Well, that's, I think that's an excellent thought right there. People who think that there is no racism, we're colorblind. I don't see color. Like my friend of mine said, if you don't see color, if I'm missing, how are you going to describe me? <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> I want she's a person. <laughs> I want you to say she's a black woman. Let's start there because I'm missing. I want you to find me. <laughs> I think Arnisha and Gabby, you both said something that, um, uh, it kind of that like both spoke to this this idea that like you know, people just need to understand, you know, if it's just, it's that like people don't understand. Uh, Arnisha, you were, you were really, really yeah. passionately talking. No, you were passionately talking about this idea that like these companies who are, who are maybe waiting it out or like, you know, Starbucks, they didn't understand. They just need to understand this better and like what Black Lives Matter means. And I think I'm more uh, cynical and it's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> you, we have every, uh, every source of information and learning, uh, and conversation and all of this is around us everywhere. Internet, walking down the street, reading a newspaper, reading a book, any way that we can get information. And so I think for me, I'm just cynical of the fact that people who specifically companies, but also individuals who are you know, nervous to stand up for Black Lives Matter or who, you know, quote unquote, don't maybe don't understand it, is that it's just a matter of understanding. I think that, I think it, I think it has to be at least even a small part, a willing uh, misunderstanding. Like they're purposefully um. not doing the digging. They're purposefully not doing the learning at this point. And that they are, you know, maybe if, if a company if Starbucks was like, nope, you can't wear your Black Lives Matter shirts or your signs or whatever, it wasn't just because they didn't understand Black Lives Matter and they were worried about, about angering the, the white community. 
it was that they made a choice that they were going to prioritize the white community and their white patrons over the black community, their black employees, their black patrons. And so I think it's, that's a choice. And so regardless of if it's like, I just, I don't know how anybody could in the day that we're in claim ignorance on what this means. If they are, it's because the news sources that they're choosing to listen to, it's the, the history that they're choosing to ignore and it's the voices that they're blocking out. Um, and so I just, I, to me, I, I wish I could, could see it as, as a, as just a misunderstanding, but for me, it's like a, I'm just, I'm much more cynical than that. And I think it's, it's a matter of like, like we, I don't know. I Well said. I think that was well said, Molly. And I think let's make it even more specific. Starbucks didn't want to anger their racist customers because you would not have been angered by Black Lives Matter. <laughs> true. Okay? Yes. True. So it was their racist customers. It had nothing to do with white or whatever is just, and that's what someone called them out on and said, oh, you're, you're, you just want to make your racist customers feel comfortable. That's what you're worried about. And, um, but yeah, no, what you said was just on point. Thank you. Yeah. There's no, there isn't an excuse and there's no reason for it now. And, and, and I very much believe any sort of ignorance comes out of fear. Um, and I think a lot of what's what's occurring is because of fear. And I think a lot of the foolish decisions to not support this movement that people seem to think is just a moment. Um, I think that is all out of fear. And I think I think in in such a monumental movement like this and in such a great time, you can't have that fear because change will not come while the fear is still there. Do you know what I mean? I, I think I think fear is the biggest enemy of all of this because it brings out some of the ugliest sides of people as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's, but, and that's a, you know, a, a deep rooted issue. It's like, well, how do you rid fear of, of, of a person's mind? You know, how do you, how do you, kick that out like real or not real you know some fear is real you know and then some fear is just um because of unknown or because of ignorance like you said i mean i think that that is a good point or or it's a fear that of giving up right as we talked about earlier if i give up if you get then i does that mean i have less and you have more you know this is a zero-sum game you know that whole mindset um around what does it mean if you get what you're asking for? And what, what does that mean for me? And what do I have to do for you? And, mm-hmm. and that, I think you're right, Gabby, it goes back to fear. And for a company, that fear is like losing money, right? And so I think this is like, um, again, with the pandemic and with Black Lives Matter, this fear is like, well, we don't want to we don't want to lose money, but more than ever, companies need to stand for things, need to stand for their values. So maybe they are showing. Maybe Starbucks was showing us their values, and like so, we should take that you know seriously. And I think you know they changed their mind when they saw the huge backlash, and then they started realizing, oh shoot, we could lose customers from this. Like you guys are already saying, we're not going to Starbucks anymore. Like you lost us, 
And that's when they change their mind. And so it's like, we wish that all companies would behave in a moral way, but because of the capitalist system and the economic system that we have, they're driven by the bottom line. And so uh, I think until we, when we think about systems change, there are so many systems that we need to change to, um, to address racial injustice, to address public health crises like pandemic, to fix the education system. So it's like, we gotta address the economic system. We have to address housing system, which of course is rooted to economics. Uh, education, health, like all these different systems are just rooted in these, these uh, white supremacist and racist structures that we really need to like go after all of them at once. And so those companies are, they're fearful in a different way, I think, than individuals that they're, they're fearing that bottom line. And so we as consumers and as workers and employees, I think need to continue pushing to demonstrate that there should be more purpose to a business than making money. And also, I think, Arnisha, you either said it or alluded to it around consequences. So right there, there needs to be, the consequences can't be, I'm sorry right. anymore. That right. just doesn't get it anymore. And I think, Molly, you're saying, you know, ignorance, you can't be ignorant. You can't say, I didn't know, not in 2020. So therefore, when things happen in a corporation that are clearly racist or sexist, um, you know, xenophobic, all those things, right? The consequences need to be without question, like we don't, it's not acceptable. Therefore, we don't want you and you don't belong here, period. And move on. Because at the end of the day, there is somebody just as smart or smarter, ready to take your job. So don't give me that crap. Like no one is indispensable. Everyone. That's true can be let go and replaced and business will go on and, and you'll, and the corporation will be just fine. Um, I think a zero, that's what they call it, a zero tolerance. There just needs to be zero tolerance for all of that. And the message will come quite clear to people very quickly. Yeah. And whether they have their views or not, they will keep it to themselves and they will learn to work with others in a much more collaborative and, um, positive way i think and unfortunately it will take negative action to create the positive reaction that you need for the employees that stay in the co in the company i'm just thinking about what you guys are saying and i know i am a i'm a glass glasses half full person and i tend to come from a space of hope and 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 optimism and I think that deep down inside, I just did not want to believe that Starbucks made the choice of um, of saying that, you know what, it just doesn't, it's not important to me. I don't care what they're saying. I just, I'm not going to make this statement. I, I don't, I don't support it. I guess deep down inside, I didn't want to um, accept that. I wanted to believe that they just, um, didn't fully understand what it what it meant and that therefore perhaps that's why they wanted to make a better you know make make a better choice and i go to um i think we talked about this briefly once before not on in our podcast but i go to drew Brees. i think we talked about drew Brees before right oh yeah, Drew. Yeah, i i am uh, i love football 
and I'm a Drew Brees fan. I think he's an extremely, extremely um, talented quarterback. And um, when his statement came out, I was like, oh, I'm never watching the Saints again. I'm just, I'm not, no, I'm not going to say watching. I'm not supporting. I'm not cheering for the Saints, you know, cheering for the, for the, for the Saints again. But when his, his statement came out the next day, um, I, I immediately forgave him. And, and, and not that I did not believe what he said the day one, because I think he spoke his true heart. That's what he really felt. That's why he said it. And he felt comfortable putting it in the social space because that's how he really felt. But when it was all said and done, you know, I, I felt like that his, his response was the right response, but more than that, his actions in that community spoke louder than any words he could have ever put on a piece of paper. So I know from just the publicity that came out when the Saints overall, but especially Drew Brees, when they had the hurricane, I forget the name of the hurricane, I'm sorry. Katrina. When they had Katrina, the amount of things that he did in their community, and that's a, that, that community is, it's a high composition of, of, of people of color there. So what he did in this community to me spoke volumes for, me saying, okay, Drew, I give you a pass on that because you've listened to your teammates, you've listened to your people, and now you understand that one has nothing to do with the other. It's not a disrespect to the flag that you treasure that most, most, you know, most Americans treasure our flag. So it's not a racial thing whether you treasure the American flag or not. You treasure what it represents. So it's not about that. And I think that when he came back the next day and kind of said, well, look, I misunderstood. I'm definitely not the enemy. I'm not. It made sense to me. And the reason why I also was able to quickly forgive him was because his actions leading up to that showed that, you know, this man is not he doesn't come off as somebody that's racist. If he did, he wouldn't be pouring all of that his money, his money into the communities that he, you know, that, that he plays for. So I'm take I'm now gonna make the leap, the leap to a Starbucks. So the leap to that would be what have where have they been putting their philanthropic dollars? What have they been supporting? What causes have they always um, what, what causes have they gotten behind? What things have been important to them? And are those things that we can look at and say, all right, this shows that social justice matters to them. You know, it shows that they're not discriminating on the things that, that count beyond selling a cup of coffee or my so treasured chai latte, which I'm really going to miss. <laughs> but, it goes Love those. I know. I know. I'm gonna miss them. I really am. You're right, Micah. I can make the Tazo because all it is is Tazo, but it doesn't taste the same. <laughs> it doesn't taste the same. But if 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 they had more to me that I could look at and go, yeah, you know, but Starbucks, you know, you know they do this, you know they do that, then I think I would have been more willing to to, to forgive them, you know, for for their actions. Yeah, that's I really good. Oh, I was just going to say, um, Arnisha, it's just, it's always good hearing you talk about uh, forgiveness and looking at the glass half full reminds me to be a little bit more of a, a forgiving, mindful person. I think that's interesting about the idea of like, is an apology enough? Um, and uh, and, I, and I, I should walk back maybe some of the things I said before about, you know, lack of understanding is not an excuse in 2020. I should say, uh, I still believe that, but 
also I think what could be tied with it is like we're in this incredible moment of learning and I put myself in this category I'm not going to stand here and say that I knew everything about being an anti-racist and the and the structures of white supremacy in our society before you know I'm learning every single day and so I think there's there's an opportunity right now as part of that apology for it to be sincere has to reference learning and like what they're really doing both to that they have learned from their mistakes and that they are putting real efforts into, you know, equity, diversity, inclusion, justice, and learning that this is a journey and so that they are, are recognizing their failures and, and doing better going forward. But like, so I, I do think that there is right now, especially there is this, there's this element of, of, um, of as part of admitting wrong is to admit to learning. Um, and to commit to learning, because I think that's that's huge. I think you're right, Arnisha. You, you bring up a good point about Drew Brees. His history kind of saves him, right? Because he, he didn't just start investing in the Black community after he made this statement to try to make up for it, right? So you're saying he's been in the Black community doing things for a long time. My challenge, though, is that I think there are people who choose not to hear what people are saying because they're so locked down on their viewpoint. So I don't think Kaepernick could have been any more clear when he started kneeling, what he was kneeling for, while he, why he was kneeling, how he was not disrespecting the flag, how he talked to people in service of the United States of America to make sure he didn't do anything disrespectful to the flag. I mean, that man went above and beyond and he explained it to people over and over and over again the media, the ESPN, all those, you know, they also explained it over and over again. So Drew Brees knew if he was listening at all, what the kneeling meant, but he chose that this was, it wasn't acceptable to him. Therefore it was, it should not be done. So there was a sense of, I think the white privilege and entitlement that came out. And then even more so when he was felt free to talk about it, and then when social media got a hold of it and the backlash, you know, he he didn't know what to do. I'm sure when at first, like people went bananas and his own teammates were like, what the heck? You know, so I think now people are being called to the carpet so quickly that they knew they need to use Drew Brees as an example of I need to commit to this community right now so that I do get a little bit of grace if I happen to say something that's not so cool, um, but show my commitment if my commitment is there. If you're not committed, you're not committed. So, you know, the apology will mean nothing and, and we'll see that. But yeah. I think you, you're right. He gets grace from what you told me. Um, but I, I, I still, he just showed his colors to me. So I was like, yeah, I hear you. I get you. We got, I mean, you, we talking about, we're talking about grace and forgiveness. You know, I, look, we all know I'm a Christian. If I don't, if I don't practice that, you know, if I, I then I am uh, not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, uh, but it, it hurts. I had to um, remind myself, I was just so angry. I, I don't remember um, the last time I just felt the amount of emotions that um, I felt coming off of George Floyd, you know, the anger, the resentment, the frustration. Um, I mean, it was beyond anger, it was just mad. And I just couldn't shake it, you know, the sadness. Um, I really, really couldn't 
shake it. And I realized that in that, in that time, in that season, um, my Christianity definitely took a back seat because I just was not in that space. Had we had this podcast discussion then, I, I would not be coming from, you know, the space, the, the space that I'm coming from um, now. And I had to just really reprioritize and realize who I am you know, and, and uh, yes, I still feel all the same ways, but I have to come at it from the space of, of my faith, you know, and, and still it's social justice is extremely, extremely, extremely important to me, but come at it from a place of knowing um, who I am and what my faith is and what's the way that I should be tackling this. And it is saying that, yeah, people are going to screw up. They're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to do the wrong thing. But if they really are trying to learn, if they really are going, are trying to make change, then you get the chance to screw up. You know, if, but if I see you screwing up and you just don't care and you do it over and over, that's a different story. But if you say something and you just really were, didn't know that that wasn't, and if you sit down and you hear and you realize, okay, and you change, then it was worth it. You know, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to be forgiven and move forward because then nobody's going to get this right. Like we're in, un, I feel like we're still in uncharted territory, you know, particularly with companies. Um, I think that they still have to try to figure out, hey, they didn't even know that they were doing things that were considered racist. If you, if you ask companies, they would not have thought that they were doing things that were racist. I mean, the amount of statements that have come out that said that, that I've read that where people are saying, we, um, we spoke to our employees of color and we realized that there was some unfair pressure. They didn't even know they were doing it. You know, which yes, is- they did. Yes, which, they did. Okay. All right, Micah. You, they probably knew. But once again, if they're saying this, I'll put it this way. It, it's more of a, it's, it's, they were complicit. Like you either, you either really were ignorant to it or you just said, you know what? I don't think that's, I, that can't be happening here. That just can't be happening here. At the end of the day, corporations are just made up of people. And those people are the people we see on TV doing the craziness we see. And some of them are doing the good things we see. Some of them are, you know, and they're all coming to work. And that, that is, that isn't at the work in the workplace. Yeah. So um, a corporation is just made up of people and society, and they are a reflection of what we're going through in a, of our society. I agree, but the but you can get a lot more money out of a corporation than you can an individual. So, while while I made the point earlier, sometimes I struggle with individually people having a right to feel a certain way and a right to act a certain way. Because especially in America, when you're a company and if you are supporting that type of behavior, you can get a lot more money out of suing a company for doing things that are unjust than you can if you go after after a person. So for that reason, because we know we live in America, it's all about the money, you know, that's why companies have to be held at a higher standard because they don't want to take the risk of being hit in the pocket. You know, think about the suits that we've seen, not race related, but the medical suits that you that have been brought up against companies that put products on the market that they ignore, they turn a blind eye to the clinical tests. I mean, how many of those things do we see where now you have these, um, what is it? I, it's not a mass lawsuit. What's the right word for it? 
A class action. A class action. You see these class action lawsuits where these companies kind of shove stuff they knew under the table and they're paying billions of dollars out of their pockets, you know, to try to reimburse people for the, the hardships that they experienced. And some people even lost their lives. So that that to me is the reason why companies need to be at a higher standard because oh, financially they can't afford it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I totally agree. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. I was just saying that's why when people say, oh, we didn't know, it's like, eh, you, you, you know, these are the same people that are out there doing, you know, stuff they shouldn't. Stuff. Or they well, try. They, in, they can have their thoughts when they leave the corporation, but when they're in that corporation. But I don't know. To me, unless you have consequences, you can't, you have to force people to, at least in that environment, act a certain way. Yeah, you, I agree. you can act however you want to act, to your point, right? I agree. I think the consequences are important in, in, in the workplace. They really are. So, Gabby, I just have a question because you are an act, you said an actor earlier. Is it okay to say an actress or an actor? What should I say? I want to make sure I'm saying the politically correct thing. You can say either term. Okay. What about um, in, in, in your industry? What types of things do you see? I always felt like the arts were much more progressive, not only in terms of race, but also sexuality and gender. It just always seemed a lot more progressive, a lot more open than what we might see in, um, in corporate America. So what, do, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I feel like there, there, there is a little bit more progress, but definitely not anywhere near where it needs to be. Um, there's just, I mean, there are definitely m more opportunities now for actors of color, but that was very recently a thing. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up with with uh, the theater companies in the area doing productions of Once on This Island with an all-white cast. Okay. Um, and, and I know, you know, people who have been in productions of The Color Purple and, like, they are not Black. And, and, and I, think, I think that's starting to change. Um, definitely a lot more in the past, uh, I would say, 10 years. Um, but even in like, I was thinking about while you guys were talking about my experience in, in the collegiate world. Um, even in that, I mean, again, it's all run by the money. Um, so at the end of the day, they want your dollar, but there are just so many issues with theater programs having equal opportunity for for actors of of color and and even you know i won't go into specifics to particularly bash anyone but um but even you know with with scene choices and and playwright studies there there's significantly less focus on um artists of of color and i mean there there are tons of actors who just aren't uh, aware and aren't aren't educated and so they think that there are less you know, black playwrights, but in fact, there are many. 
Um, they just haven't been exposed to them because their theater program in, you know, Wisconsin doesn't want to focus on that. Um, and, I, and, and it does come down to a matter of, of education, like you guys were saying earlier, and, and committing to that education. Um, because I, I think that, you know, like you were saying, the actions speak louder than the words. I would almost rather the actions over the words because I don't, I don't, it doesn't mean anything for me for you to make a statement so that what I pat you on the back, oh, good job, you said the right thing. Like, no, it's what you do at the end of the day. Um, and I think I'm definitely experiencing that a lot coming out of, of college, you know, and, and just, and, and even the, professors not knowing how to create the same opportunities for their white students as as their students of color like they just and part of that is you know I had older professors and so they're sort of stuck in an older time but but I mean these are the people that we're learning from and you teach what you're taught, you know, and I think that, uh, that the poison, you know, it, 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 it leaks down even in the, in the tiniest little amounts, you know, the faucet doesn't have to be on full blast. If there's a drip, it, it travels. Um, so that's just, I was thinking about, you know, my experience of that. Okay. And if you think about the media, they are definitely so complicit in how we're portrayed, you know, the whole white savior syndrome. I mean, we can't, that's a whole episode, uh, you know, but, you know, that's the fact that we, we can't be our hero on our own. We can't get ourselves, you know, out of a situation or, you know, so that, that whole white savior genre is you know, huge in Hollywood. And that's what they want to portray and show as opposed to us being the ones that do what we need to do for ourselves. And those stories, telling the, the true stories and getting our, a full picture of what Black America is. It's not just one genre or one way of life. We're like, you know, a mosaic. Yeah, as diverse as our skin tones. Yeah, Seriously. yeah everything, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, and until Hollywood and Hollywood can change that because, you know, if you start seeing movies and TV shows and, you know, everything that's more positive and more um, a, a bigger outreach, then it can change the tide and how everyone sees you um because that's that they call it mass media for a re reason you know right but you know that's why honestly you got to give you know just still thinking about the arts that's why you kind of you got to give shonda rhymes her props you know you got to give people who are out there who not only just wrote they wrote they wrote incredible stories right incredible tv shows and in doing so made sure that there was diversity in the actors and actresses that you saw in their programs and and when you look at a Grey's Anatomy which I can't believe is 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 still on and every, I keep saying I can't watch it it's been on for too long and if I watch one episode I'm glued you know <laughs> you know I can't but you that's part of the part of the challenge is being a being able to put in 
to make those requests, you know, and I, to some extent, I'll say demands. Like we've seen it with women, with the with the women's movement, um, and that's not the right terminology, so forgive me. But where female actresses, when they went to the award show, they were all wearing was it black or white? What color? I, I know it's black. Old. The times up. Okay, times up. That's I mean. it. They were all wearing black, and they started saying, "Look, as women, we have to demand." that you hire women for certain roles. And it's that same thing. Like I give Shonda Rhimes a lot of credit. I give um, Tyler Perry a lot of credit. And he takes a lot of slack sometimes. But when people are, are demanding like, okay, you have to have this, then you start to see some of the change. Then you start to see that, wow, you know, black people do have the same depth in their arts and their abilities as anybody else when given the opportunity to, to you know, to, to show that. So um, I was just, you know, thinking about what you said, like it, we just need more of that. We need more of people saying, I don't care, you know, this doctor, this surgeon can be an older, you know, chief of the chief of surgery can be an older black guy, you know, and that's completely fine. And he can have people underneath him that represent, as Micah said, the mosaic. And that doesn't change their ability to do well. In fact, it just makes the team richer. It makes it better because they have different perspectives. So that's, that's what we are all working towards. That's what we hope corporate America will get to and not try to make us all the same, but accept all of our differences and know that we all have something unique that we bring to the table and that that mindset, that frame of reference is going to cause us to deal with issues and solve problems, business problems differently, right? Which can only make us better as a team. If I'm going to look at it as the African-American woman that grew up in Harlem with my own set of values and points of view. And I tie that with Molly, who is a white woman that grew up where, Molly, tell me again? Outside St. Louis. Okay, outside <laughs> St. Louis. And we're in a meeting and we're thinking about things that affect B corporations. My frame, my mindset is going to approach it completely different than Molly's. And we'll come together with something that makes it just richer, you know, richer that's, that reflects um, a much more diversity in thought. So I continue to be hopeful. <laughs> yes, yes. But there are many a study that support exactly what you said. And those same studies have been in corporations for years. They've known about it. They keep saying we need it. Diversity makes us better. They know it. They know it. They just have to put it into action. And I will say I'll ha I have hope that maybe now they will do it. That's good. And we're and not going to let up until they do. That's yeah. right. That's and right. I would just say, we keep talking about corporate America and corporations, but I would say that as somebody who's worked always in nonprofits, all of these issues are present in the nonprofit world, in the, in the philanthropic sector, all of it. So these are like just issues across the workplace, regardless of industry, sector, any of that. And to your point, Micah, they know it. Like these studies, have, these aren't, this isn't new information, a lot of, especially when it comes to the workplace. And so it's like the people who have power have to be willing to give a little up. Yeah. Like, yes, it's not, it's not a pie where if I give some up to you because you have more than I have less, but in some cases it, it is. Like we need people who are, who have been in power to be willing to step aside um, or to open it up to make the pie bigger. Um, so. yeah. yeah. Amen. 
So dames, uh, I think we have, I mean, I think there's so much more we could talk about and I think we should probably think about doing additional episodes um, because clearly we are all very passionate about this and have our, our thoughts and, and our own experiences that we're bringing to the table, which is, you know, um, contributing to our, our feelings of, of hope or not hope or real versus real change versus a temporary change. But at the end of the day, we know we want change. So whether it's, it's real or not, we know that it, it has to happen for the future of America, of the world to be all that it should be. Um, so whatever that means for all of us and for our listeners to make that change, be part of it, be vocal, educate yourself. If you don't know something, read it. There's a book about it. There's a podcast about it. There's, you know, there, there's, there's things at your fingertip to help you educate yourself, but then talk to people. Once you've educated yourself, talk to people, ask questions. When you come from a place of knowledge, people are so much more open to have that discussion with you. And it's okay if you don't know some things, but you've shown that you want to know and you've already taken those steps. I think that is the best way to start a conversation. I just read a book or I just saw an article I had a question about this. So, you know, but don't expect people to educate you. Educate yourself first. That would be my recommendation. And once you do that, be part of the change. If you have any questions, email us at dametalk4 at gmail.com. That's dametalk and the number four at gmail. To learn more about us and these topics, check out our website at dametalkpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. This is Dame Talk. We don't know everything, but we know enough.